All right, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commands. Tonight for the BHP, we're going to study part two of the 70 weeks plan that we can find in the book of Daniel chapter nine. So we're already in chapter nine of the book of Daniel. We're almost going to complete the entire book. Now let's go ahead and look at the purpose of the 70 weeks plan that is for the people of Israel. And this is uh, what we discussed last week, the purpose is sixfold. It is to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So that's the scope of the prophecy. And we know 70 weeks actually refers to 70 sets of years, which translates to Yahuwah's 490-year plan for the people of Israel. And so the scope of this prophecy will accomplish these six objectives, but how the 70 weeks or 490 year plan is broken down is revealed in Daniel chapter 9, 25 to 27 in the prophecy found in those verses. We studied Daniel 9, 25 last week. And if you still remember this prophecy, it mentions there, which is highlighted for you in yellow, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, when you look at this passage, the question comes up, seven weeks and 62 weeks. Why didn't the prophecy just mention 69 weeks? Why is it broken down to seven weeks and 62 weeks? And so we proposed last week, the reason for this could be because it is a multiple fulfillment prophecy or a prophecy with a double fulfillment, an initial or immediate fulfillment covered by the seven weeks and a more complete fulfillment, which is covered by the seven weeks and 62 weeks or 69 weeks. So last week we talked about the immediate fulfillment. And so we focused on the seven weeks which translates to how many years? 49 years. And in that initial prophecy, when it mentions Messiah the Prince, we suggested, because there's no uh, definite article, instead of being the Messiah, you can read it as a Messiah the Prince, which means an anointed governor. And we suggested it could be Nehemiah because of his role when it comes to the fulfilling of Daniel chapter 9 and the verses 25. And so we believe this was part of the immediate or initial fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9 verse 25. And so to check that, we looked at the command, and the command started at the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. And from that command, which is a prophecy from Yahuwah himself concerning what's going to happen, after the desolations in Jerusalem is over, it's going to be seven weeks or 49 years before the appearance of Nehemiah as governor. And so from the finish of the desolations of Jerusalem until the coming of Nehemiah, an anointed governor was 49 solar years, not biblical years. And we tested this and it fit the dates that were given to us from history and from the Holy Scriptures. However, let's keep in mind, Nehemiah was not the only anointed one or appointed one 
who will have roles to play when it comes to the fulfillment of the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem. Nine, Daniel 9.25 had an immediate fulfillment when Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel, Joshua, or uh, Yahushua, the high priest, and the small remnant became instruments in rebuilding the temple, the walls, the gates, the streets of Jerusalem, the infrastructure, and in restoring the laws of Yahuwah, congregational worship, and festival celebrations, which was completed by 396 uh, BC. And so this was the immediate and initial fulfillment of Daniel 9.25. However, we also learned about the nature of biblical prophecies. It uses patterns in multiple ways, layers of meaning and fulfillment and repetition of patterns in multiple fulfillments. And so we believe Daniel 9.25 had several fulfillments in it. And we know it had an initial fulfillment when we considered Nehemiah as the Messiah or anointed one mentioned in the biblical passage. However, we believe if there was an initial immediate fulfillment, there was a more comprehensive, more messianic fulfillment, a fulfillment which is the completion of the purpose of this prophecy, a more complete fulfillment of Daniel 25 using not a solar year, but a biblical year computation. Do you still remember the difference between a solar year and a biblical year? Solar year is 365.25 days, right? And we know sometime during the 700 BC, something happened to the behavior of the planets. And so the 360-day biblical calendar changed to 365.25. And so when we consider this prophecy from the lens this time, not of a solar year, but a biblical year, what kind of details, what shall we discover in this prophecy? It's very exciting because now we're going to go to the essence, the main part of the prophecy, the more complete fulfillment of Daniel 9.25, which continues to Daniel 26, 9.26, and 9.27. So let's go first to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. And this time, we will, we will consider Messiah, the prince, as the Mashiach himself. There's a reason why there's why this is sound belief, because it mentions here anointed one, Messiah, and prince, which, is, which can also be used for king, and anointed one in biblical usage of the Hebrew term for Mashiach. Um, it also pertains to the king of Israel. And so until the king of Israel, who is, also, who is a king or prince, this can refer to the Mashiach himself. Since anointed is paired with prince, this suggests powerfully a king of Israel that is to come. You see, the main fulfillment will be executed by the Mashiach, okay? Not just a Mashiach, but the Mashiach, who is Yahushua himself, the son of the living God. And so we will now examine this prophecy in terms of its more complete fulfillment under and through 
Messiah, the Prince, or the King of Kings, Yahusha HaMashiach. And so when we look at this prophecy, it's not just for it. We're using the time stamps or the time periods covered not just by the seven weeks, but this time by the seven and 62 weeks. So seven plus 62. In the immediate fulfillment, we began only with the seven weeks. This time, a more complete fulfillment. It's a combination of the both, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. So from the time a decree is made to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, including the street and walls, until Messiah comes as prince or king, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, right? Not just seven weeks. That was for Nehemiah. Seven weeks and 62 weeks for a total of how many weeks? 69 weeks, which means how many years? 49 plus 434 is 483 years. Because remember, uh, a week represents what? Seven years. And so seven times seven, and then seven times 62, you get 434 for a total of 480 years. So according to the prophecy in Daniel 9.25, from a time a decree or command is given until the coming of Yahusha as king, it will be 483 years. And so what we need to figure out is the, time, the, uh, the, the beginning, the start point, right? The start point is the command. Notice the command that was given in this prophecy. It is about building Jerusalem, including the street, and the wall. Was there a decree that is approved by Yahuwah and given that was specifically for the fulfillment of this prophecy to build Jerusalem, including the street, the wall, and the gates? Yes, we find that in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, 1, 5, 7, 2, 8. If we read Nehemiah, Chapter 2, which we have already read last week, you notice the key phrases. It mentions rebuilding the walls of the city, Jerusalem itself, the gates. And this was a decree that was issued by who? King Arthaxerxes in his 20th year. Now, when was the 20th year of King Arthaxerxes? It's important that we identify that because that's the starting point. Remember, we're going to test the prophecy to see whether or not if we look at the starting point and the end point of the prophecy, it does add up to 483 years. So we have the starting point, right? The 20th year of King Arthaxerxes. How do we determine a Gregorian date for that? That's a good thing. Someone did the research for us. His name was Sir uh, Robert Anderson, a theologian who used the data, not just from historical documents in the Bible, but also used the data from observatories throughout the world. And so he looked at the uh, several pieces of uh, information to come up with dates, exact dates for these events uh, given to us by history and biblical history. And so according to this book, the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, uh, United Kingdom, states that the first of Nisan in King Arthur Cersei's 20th year was specifically 
March 14, 445 BC. You know, you can be precise with these dates because they're, they're basing it on lunar observations and also the position of the Earth relative to the constellation. And so it's a hard, it's, it, it's pretty scientific. And if you want to know the details behind it, we did a Bible study on this, the BH, one of the BHPs. And also you can go and check out the book written by Sir Robert Anderson. Anyways, we now have a starting point for the command, right? Now what we need to do is to determine when Yahushua will fulfill a prophecy of making himself king of Israel so that we can compute the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. By the way, just as an added note, the seven weeks mentioned here also has another interesting prof uh, prophetic fulfillment. We talked about seven weeks last week, right? But it also turns out if you look at when the restoration and rebuilding of Jerusalem was completed, it was 396 BC. It turns out if you do the math, if you had the starting point of 445 BC, which was the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and 396 BC, which was when Jerusalem was rebuilt and restored to put an end to the Old Testament times. Well, it turns out if you do the math, it's how many years? 49 years. That's very interesting. And it could, it could there will be another kind of fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. However, what we really want to focus on is a more important kind of restoration because this one will be ushered in by Messiah the Prince. And so this time we will look at the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, which is 69 weeks. We have the starting point, March 14, 445 BC. Now we need to know the end point and see if we can come up with 483 years. What's the end point? Messiah comes as Prince. Messiah comes as the king of Israel. Well, when is that? Does the Bible give us a specific date? Well, not, the Bible doesn't give us a specific date on where, when he appears as king or he presents himself as king, but the Bible gives us clues. And from these clues, we can deduce the exact date of when Yahushua presents himself as king in fulfilling biblical prophecy. Let's take a look at the book of Luke, chapter 3 and the verses 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And so here we have a mention in the Holy Scriptures about Tiberius Caesar. In the 15th year of his reign, the Bible says Yahushua was baptized, right? And that was the start of his ministry. That's a clue. We need to know when that happened. When was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar? Well, it turns out we have good historical evidence from Tacitus in his Annals, volume 6.50. And according to historical documents, the evidence points to the 15th year of Tiberius beginning on August 19, 28 AD. And so at the fall, the autumn of 28 AD, that's when Yahushua began his 
ministry. He started his ministry 28 AD around fall or autumn. Now, why is that important? Now we're going to count Passovers. Because remember, Yahushua died on a Passover. How many Passovers uh, before Yahushua was killed? The book of uh, John 2, 13, 14, this is one Passover. And John 6, 4 to 5 is another Passover. In Luke 9, another Passover. And finally, Luke 22, his last Passover, right? Because he would eventually be killed. And so from the beginning of Yahushua's ministry until he died, how many Passovers? Four, right? Well, when did Yahushua die? On the fourth Passover after August of 28 AD. And so if we do the calculation, we know that he started his ministry 28 AD, 29 AD, first Passover after he began his ministry. 30, a second, 31st, the third, and on the 32nd, which is his fourth Passover, that's when he died. And so we can say Nisan 14, 32 AD would have been April the 10th, 32 AD. This is corroborated also by Sir Robert Anderson in his book, The Coming Prince. And so we know that Yahusha died April 10, 32 AD. AD. However, according to Daniel 9:25, what are we counting? Are we counting from are we counting how many days or how many years from 445, the decree by Artaxerxes until Yahusha dies? No, because when you look at the prophecy, it's not mentioning here about the death of Yahusha yet. It's mentioning about when he will present himself as the prince or a King, And this is important because Yahushua is going to time, time the, the precise time he's going to present himself as king. And the reason why in John 6, 15, Yahushua knew that they were about to come and seize him in order to make him king by force. So he went off again to the hills by himself. Often Yahushua was asked, if he was the king, but he would always evade answering that question because it had to be the right time. And when was that right time? The book of Luke 19, 28 to 36, after Yahushua said this, he went on in front of them toward Jerusalem. And he came near Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. He sent two disciples ahead with these instructions. Go to the village there ahead of you, as you go in, you will find a colt tied up that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks you why you are untying it, tell him that the master needs it. They went on their way and found everything just as Yahushua had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying it? The master needs it, they answered. And they took the colt to Yahushua. Then they threw their cloaks over the animal and helped Yahushua get on. As he rode on, people spread their cloaks on the road. And so what did Yahushua arrange to do? He told his disciples to go get him a colt. And he would ride on the colt. And why did Yahushua do this? You have any idea? I mean, why would Yahushua ride on a colt? 
so that he can enter Jerusalem with the cult. Why was that? What was the purpose of this? We know when Yahushua does things, he does so with a purpose. There's a reason for everything he does. Not only is there a reason for everything he does, also for when he does it. This is why Yahushua said, I only do the things and say the things that Yahuwah tells me to do. He's following the timeline Yahuwah gives him. This is true when it comes to the festivals of Yahuwah. This is why when you look at when the dates are set, the Moedim, the appointed times for the festivals, Yahusha followed the Moedim, right? For example, the Passover, that's when Yahusha died. Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's when he was buried. Feast of First Fruits, that's when he resurrected. And then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent. So Yahushua is following the Moedim. In this case, he's also following an appointed time. It's not a feast, right? But it's something else. It's a prophecy that Yahushua is fulfilling. What is that prophecy? Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice, rejoice, people of Zion. Shout for joy, you people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He comes triumphant and victorious, but humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's a reason why Yahusha arranges for a colt to be given to him. Why he rides on a colt as he goes to Jerusalem. What is that purpose? It is so that he can present himself as king in fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9. And so he's presenting himself as king. The kingdom was already at hand. Yahushua was going to give the kingdom to the people of Israel. Yahushua, if they would have accepted him as king, the kingdom could have been theirs. But did they accept Yahushua? What happened? Luke 19. The master needs it. They answered. And they took the colt to Yahusha. Then they threw their cloaks over the animal and helped Yahusha get on. As he rode on, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near Jerusalem, at the place where the road went down the Mount of Olives, the large crowd of his disciples began to thank God and praise him in loud voices for all the great things that they had seen. God bless the king who comes in the name of Yahuwah. Peace in heaven, glory to God. Then some of the Pharisees and the crowd spoke to Yahushua. Teacher, they said, command your disciples to be quiet. Yahushua answered, I tell you that if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will start shouting. And so when Yahushua presented himself as king, as the prince of prince, was he accepted by the people? No. Only by his disciples. But the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews, they rejected him as king. What did they even do to him? They even arrested him and crucified him. They ridiculed him. And when did Yahushua do this? He rode on the cult. He did this on April the 6th, 32 AD, which makes a lot of sense. Because remember, April the 10th, 32 AD, that's when he died, right? Yahushua died which was the 14th of Nisan. According to the book of Exodus chapter 12, on the 10th day of Nisan, that's when the sheep or the lamb is to be inspected in preparation for its slaughtering on the Passover day. And so Yahushua presents himself to be inspected as king of Israel on April the 6th, 
3284 days before April the 10th. And so now we have an end date. We have a start date and an end date. The start date is March 14, 445 BC, which is when Arthaxerxes' decree was made to give permission to rebuild Jerusalem, including its walls and the street and the gates, right? We also have an end date for when Yahusha presented himself as prince, which is April the 6th, 32 AD. Now we do the computation using biblical years, not solar years, but biblical years. One year consists of how many days? 360. Do we come up with 483 years? Well, let's go ahead and do the computation. 483 biblical years equals how many days? 173,880 days. So the question is, between March 14, 445 BC, and April the 6th, 32 AD, is there 173,880 days? Well, let's go ahead and do more computation. Let's look at March 14 and April the 6th. Uh, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and Yahusha arrives as prince or king. We subtract 445 BC from 32 AD. And how many days is that? We multiply by 360, you get 173,740 days. You subtract April 6 from March the 14th and you get 24 days. Of course, we have to account for leap years because we are counting by the biblical year, 360. So we have to account for leap years as well, 116 days. You add all that up and what do you get? Amazing. We get 173,880 days. A precise and amazing prophecy and fulfillment of what Yahuwah foretold long ago. It is true that the Holy Scriptures is written not by the hand of men or not by the spirit of men, but by the spirit of Yahuwah Abba. And so this amazing prophecy in Daniel 9.25 was fulfilled to the very day when Yahusha presented himself as king of Israel. But we're not yet finished, right? The 70 weeks plan is not yet finished. How many weeks are we in now? We finished 1769, right? Because seven plus 62, how many is that? 69. How many weeks is it in the plan, the whole plan? So we're still missing one, one week, right? Now, before you go to that one week, it turns out there's something's gonna happen before the countdown for the last week takes place. What is that? In verse 26, we read 25, we discussed 25. Let's now go to verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And so after Yahusha presents himself as king, what's going to happen to him according to Daniel 9.26? He's going to be cut off. So what does that mean? Be cut off. You look at the Hebrew, it's the word karat. Karat means to eliminate or to kill. Amazing, isn't it? According to the prophecy before even Yahusha was born. It's already being foretold that he's going to be killed. 
And why will he be killed? In Daniel 9.26, and after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, because he committed no sin. He's going to be killed because of the sins of people, not himself. And so this tells us the work of atonement that Yahusha is going to fulfill. And so we know Yahusha died April the 10th, 32 AD, but that's not it. After he is to be cut off, but not for himself, what is going to happen next according to the prophecy? It mentions here, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, when people uh, read this prophecy and they read prince, they make the mistake of thinking that this prince is also the Messiah. But no, this is a different prince. As you will see in this prophecy, Daniel 9, 25, 26, and 27, there are three different princes. 9.25 is Yahushua. This one is a different prince. Daniel 9.27 is going to be another prince, or three. Okay, And so in Daniel 9.26, this is not Yahushua. This prince mentioned here who is to come is not Yahushua. Why? Because the people shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so who, who is this prince? And who are the people? It's it's kind of a, a question we need to ask is, why does the Bible mention the people of the prince? Because usually when a military commander gives his armies the instruction to destroy a city, right? Um, the one who gets credit for it is the military commander. The military commander was the one who destroyed the city because the prophecy says the city, of course, is Jerusalem, is going to be destroyed. Not just the city, what also is going to be destroyed? The sanctuary, right? And so typically what you find is when you read um, about instructions of a military commander giving instructions to destroy a city, the one who gets credit is the prince or the military commander, or the governor, right? But in this instance, in this prophecy, it's the people. The Bible specifies not the prince, but the people of the prince. Why is that? And who is this prince? Well, who was the one, the prince who would eventually become king, which is why it's appropriate that the word prince is used, because this prince would eventually become king, and he was responsible for destroying Jerusalem. He, his name is Titus, Titus Caesar Vespas, uh, Vespasianus, and he was a Roman emperor from 79 to 81. But before he became king, before he became emperor, uh, what did he do? Well, before becoming emperor, Titus gained renown as a military commander, serving under his father in Judea during the first Jewish-Roman war. The campaign came to a brief halt with the death of Emperor Nero in 68, launching Vespasian's bid for the imperial power during the year of the four emperors. When Vespasian was declared emperor on the 1st of July, 69 AD, Titus was left in charge of ending the Jewish rebellion. 70, 70 AD, he besieged and captured Jerusalem and destroyed the city and the second temple. For this achievement, Titus was awarded a triumph. The Arch of Titus commemorates his victory to this day. And so that prince prophesied in Daniel 9.26 is Titus. And the people of Titus 
is the one responsible for destroying the city and the sanctuary. Well, why not give the credit to Titus? Well, according to Josephus, Josephus was a Jewish historian. And this is what he has to say, okay? And he was an eyewitness to this. But Titus said that although the Jews should get upon that holy house and fight us thence, yet ought we not to revenge ourselves on things that are inanimate instead of the men themselves? And that he was not in any case for burning down so vast a work as that was, because this would be a mischief to the Romans themselves, as it would be an ornament to their government while it continued. And so what was um, Titus's plan for Jerusalem? To destroy the people, but not the inanimate objects, like the temple and the city itself, because it would be an ornament to the government of Rome. That's why Titus said, why are we going to enact revenge on inanimate buildings. It should just be the people, right? And they turns out they killed over a million Jews, including women and children. And so this is Titus, he's a sinister person. But he didn't, he wanted to get the uh, the temple and the, the sanctuary and the, the, the buildings of Jerusalem as part of the victory reward, an ornament, okay? And so that was his plan. However, what happened while he was resting? Again, let's keep reading uh, uh, Josephus. And now a certain person came running to Titus and told him on this fire. And so Titus had no idea what was going on. He was resting. And the people, the, the army that belonged to Titus, what did they do? They set the buildings, including the temple, on fire as he was resting himself in his tent after the last battle, whereupon he rose up in, a great, in great haste, and as he was, ran to the holy house in order to have a stop put to the fire. Did, uh, then did Caesar, both by calling to the soldiers that were fighting with a loud voice, and by giving a signal to them with his right hand, order them to quench the fire. He did not want it destroyed, but they did not hear what he said though he spake so loud, having their ears already dimmed by a greater noise another way. Nor did they attend to the signal he made with his hand neither, as till some of them were distracted with fighting and others with passion. But as for the legions that came running thither, neither any persuasions nor any threatenings could restrain their violence. But each one's own passion was his commander at this time. And so he went, Titus found out what was happening. His army was destroying Rome, I mean, uh, Jerusalem, right? Setting them on fire. He commanded them to stop. But according to Josephus, the people, uh, instead of following Titus as their commander, they followed their own passion. What was their passion? What was driving them? Let's keep reading. But as the flame had not as yet reached to its inward parts, but was still consuming the rooms that were about the, about the holy house, and Titus, supposing what the fact was, that the house itself might yet be saved, he came in haste and endeavored to persuade the soldiers to quench the fire and gave orders to Liber, Liberalius, the centurion, and one of those spearmen, 
that were about him to beat the soldiers that were refractory with their staves and to restrain them. Yet were their passions too hard for the regards they had for Caesar and the dread they had uh, of him who forbade them, as was their hatred of the Jews and a certain vehement inclination to fight them too hard for them also. Moreover, the hope of plunder induced many to go on as having this opinion that all the places within were full of money and as seeing that all around about it was made of gold. And thus was the holy house burnt down without Caesar's approbation. And so we can see the passion driving them was their hatred for the Jews and their greed for gold and money. And so despite Titus instructing them to save, to put an end to the fire, to save the buildings, to save the temple, they refused. This is why in the prophecy, it mentions the people of the prince. Now, when you think about that, if the prophecy said, and the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, it would technically be wrong. You notice the precision of the wording of the prophecy? It says the people of the prince. That is just awesome, the way these details come into its fulfillment. And so that was fulfilled during the days of Titus. And when was Jerusalem destroyed? 70 AD, 38 years after the death of Yahusha. So Yahusha dies. Jerusalem also dies. What happens to Israel? If we look at Daniel 9.26, it will be followed by hardship and tribulation called desolations. Okay, and this is what happened with the people of Israel after 70 AD, war upon war, desolations upon desolations fell on Israel. And so these events will take place in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. But there's something, again, we need to understand about these three events mentioned in Daniel 9.26. What is that? Well, if we go back to Daniel, this time, when we look at Daniel 9.25 all the way to 27, when we go to Daniel 25 from the going forth of the command until Messiah the Prince is seven weeks and 62 weeks, right? So how many weeks do we have already? Seven and 62, how many? 69. How many weeks is there supposed to be? 70, right? But notice what happens in verse 26. After the 62 weeks, it doesn't say it's included in the 70 weeks, but it does say after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. He'll die in 32 AD, right? And then the people of the prince will destroy the sanctuary and the city, 70 AD. And then desolations, war, is determined for Jerusalem and for Israel. That was all being fulfilled, right? But you notice when you look at Daniel 9.25, after Mashiach shows up presenting himself on a donkey as fulfillment of Zechariah, presenting himself as prince or king, 69 weeks have already been finished, right? And when does the 70th, 7-0, the final week, when does it happen? In verse, what verse? 27, right? And so 
Verse 26 is not included. This whole verse 26 is not included in that timeline. It's called an interval, a gap between the 69th week and the final 70th week. And in this interval of time, we don't know how long it is. It's still ongoing. We are in that gap or interval of time. Because in that interval of time, what happens? Well, Yahusha is cut off. He dies. Uh, Jerusalem is destroyed. There are desolations for Israel. And the, count, the, the, the clock is still ticking within that interval of time. Because the seventh, 70th year or the 70th week has not yet happened. It's going to happen still in the future. This is why when we go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that is going to happen in the future. And you notice a character shows up. You notice the he, the pronoun he mentioned here. What, who is, uh, who is this being depicted here by the pronoun he? Well, it cannot be Yahushua. Why? Because when you read 27, that's not what he's going to do. He's going to do terrible things. And Yahushua is not going to do terrible things. Right? So who could this be? Well, according to a theologian, Charles Cooper, author of God's elect and the great tribulation, this is what I am convinced the text is actually intending. The he, the pronoun he, of verse 27 does not have an antecedent which drives scholars mad. You see, when you see a, a he or a pronoun, you always look for an antecedent so that you can know what the pronoun is referring to. In this case, there's no antecedent because, it, there's, because of the gap, right? Because of the interval of time in verse 26, there's no antecedent for that he. Right? They force the Hebrew to say something I don't believe is it intended. The he of verse 27 does not look backwards. It points forward to a character not identified in the previous verses. This is the third prince we were talking about. Remember, the first one is the king of kings, Yahusha. Next one is Titus. And in verse 27, it's a different one. And so this has caused a lot of problems among the scholars. And so when you look at the Bible as a whole, this he that is to come, we already know who that is, right? Any idea who could that be? Yeah, the pronoun he who is to come in Daniel 9.27 is another prince, another king, who is also identified in scripture as little horn, the beast, and the antichrist, okay? And so he's going to show up when? He's going to show up on the 70th week, the start of week, the final week of this age, okay? That's when... Uh, little horn, the beast or antichrist will come. And what will he do? If we go to Daniel 9, 25 to 27, it says here, he, the antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And so that one week is part of the covenant that this antichrist is going to confirm. Remember, the word antichrist does not necessarily mean opposing Christ or against Christ but could be understood as replacement for Christ, right? And so it's 
not surprising that he's going to show up here. He's going to want to convince people that he is the Messiah. And so we call him the anti-Mashiach, the anti-Christ, because he's going to be a replacement for Mashiach or Yahusha. And what will he do? He's going to confirm a covenant. When Yahusha died in verse 26, he created a covenant, right? And so this guy is also going to make a covenant for himself. And what is this covenant all about? It says he shall confirm a covenant. Now, the Hebrew word for confirm is gabar, which means to strengthen, to prevail, to prevail, have strength, be strength, be powerful, be mighty, be great. So it is possible there's already a covenant in existence. And what will he do? He's going to strengthen it, right? He's going to give it teeth. He's going to give it some power so that it can be enacted upon. It's just a suggestion. So that's what he will do. He will confirm a covenant by strengthening that covenant with many for one week. It turns out there's already a Jerusalem covenant. Did you know that? Yeah. If you go to Google and Google Jerusalem covenant, it will lead you to this. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but you can read it for yourself. And this Jerusalem covenant uh, signed by political, military, and religious leaders in the early 1990s, uh, which basically declared the city to be the world capital in the Bible, as well as declaring that the holy sites must be protected from any uh, desecration and from any restriction of free access to them. It also used the words peace and tranquility. When it says Jerusalem, peace and tranquility shall reign in the city. And so in this Jerusalem covenant, we find verbiage, which is biblical, because the Bible does say they will cry out, they will say peace and safety, and then destruction comes. Remember that passage? And so there's going to be this covenant that is about peace, and this Antichrist is going to use this covenant to strengthen that covenant and establish relationships with many, including Israel, because it says in the prophecy, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And so in this covenant that he will make, it will involve Israel, Jerusalem, and other nations. Why? And what would be his purpose? And how will he convince Israel to be a part of this treaty or covenant? Daniel 11, 23, 24, and after the league a league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He starts out small. Remember, he's a little, little horn, right? He shall enter peaceably. He begins with peace, but he's a person with this who's sinister and deceitful. He shall enter peaceably. He's a good tactician, good political strategist, even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches. And he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. And so this Antichrist is going to form some kind of league. And so it will involve many, not just Israel, but other nations as well. And he's going to present this in a way that it, that's disguised as peace. So it's like a, like a peace treaty that involves Jerusalem and the use of the temple in 
Jerusalem. How else is this Antichrist described? Daniel 7, 8, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. So he starts insignificant, unknown, right? Before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in the horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And how else is he described? Daniel 8, 23, and in the latter time of the kingdom, when the transgressors, transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall rise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. And so this is the Antichrist. He starts out small, little horn, but he will grow in power and strength by the use of deceit and by the use of policy, what will he be able to do? 25, and through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace, by peace, so he starts out with offering peace, and so many people are convinced they establish a covenant or treaty with them because of peace, but shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. Who is that? Yahushua. But he shall be broken without hand. And so this is the rise of little horn becoming the beast. The rise of little horn becoming the antichrist. And so once he makes this covenant with many, what will he eventually do? Because of his deceitfulness. Daniel 9.27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, right? So the one week, the final week starts off with this covenant. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. That's not good, right? He's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. What else? On the wing of And on the wing of abominations, on the the wing of the temple, abomination, there shall be one who makes desolate. And so this tells us sometime in the near future is going to be a temple. It's going to be erected. It's going to be a red heifer. There's going to be the sacrifices again. But this king, this antichrist, is going to put an end to it during the middle of the week. And that's what is called as the abomination that brings desolation. This is important. This passage is important because Yahushua tells us it's important. Why is it important? Matthew 24. Let's go ahead and jump to Matthew 24 uh, for a while. This is what it says. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. For then there will be, oh boy, there will be great tribulation. Such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so according to Yahushua, we need to be paying attention to what's happening in Jerusalem, to what's happening in the temple. Okay, Even though they're not the people of God yet, they're not the people of God now, right? We still need to look at what's happening over there because what's the Antichrist is going to use Jerusalem as his headquarters. This is why in our BQA this last Tuesday, 
We talked about the Babylon being the city of Jerusalem, right? We talked about Nimrod as the first dictator. Now we have the final dictator and they all have something in common, right? And so we see here the spirit of the Antichrist at work. And this is the final iteration of the Antichrist. And he's going to set up the abomination of desolation. And once that happens, according to Yahushua, then use your understanding. This is what's going to happen next is the great tribulation. And what did Yahushua say about the great tribulation? He said, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. So it's going to be pretty bad. It's going to be so bad. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, right? And when will this begin? It will begin at the middle of the week. What does that mean? The middle of the seven weeks. The middle of these, I mean, the middle of the one week, which is seven years. And so divide seven by two, what do you get? 3.5, three and a half. So three and a half and three and a half. You get seven. And so when we look at the last one week of the seven weeks, it starts off when the covenant strengthened by the Antichrist. He builds his strength for 3.5 years. And at the middle of the week, he takes over. <laughs> he just takes over. He has so much power. He's convinced so many because of his sinister and deceitful acts. And now he initiates the abomination of desolation. And for the next 3.5 years, we have what? The tribulation. And you know that, not, that, that length of time, 3.5 years is mentioned throughout Daniel and Revelation. For example, Daniel 7, 23 to 25. This is the explanation I was given. The fourth beast is a fourth empire that will be on the earth and will be different from all other empires. It will crush the whole earth and trample it down. The 10 horns are 10 kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will appear. This is the prince, right? The false prince. He will be very different from the earlier ones and will overthrow three kings. He will speak against the supreme God. And what will he do? He will oppress God's people. This is part of the tribulation. He will try to change the religious laws and festivals. And God's people will be under his power for how long? Three and a half years. Because it's going to begin when? at the middle of the final week of the 70-week plan found in Daniel, okay? And who is behind the rise to power and strength of this little horn, this antichrist, this beast? Daniel 8, 23, 25, at the end of the rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. Who's behind it? He'll become very strong, but not by his own. Power. Who's behind that power? Yeah. It will be the devil. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. And so he's going to succeed in all that he does. He will destroy powerful leaders, devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. And he will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human Power And Revelation 13 also mentions this. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Question. 
How many months is 3.5 years? How many? Three, how many months is 3.5 years? 42 months. And so in other, in other translations, he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name in his temple, that is, those who live in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. So he's going to be a world dominator. And he's even going to conquer the holy people of God. This is why we need to prepare for this beast, for this antichrist. Now, when we look at it this way, and when we look at the 70 weeks plan, we say to ourselves, wow, the 70 weeks plan found in Daniel has a bad ending. How does it end? Tribulation. It has a bad ending. No, it doesn't have a bad ending. Remember the pattern in scripture, right? It begins with darkness, but it ends in light. And who is the light that will bring forth promise that we aspire and hope for and pray for? John 8, 12, Yahushua spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And so, brothers and sisters, what we want to convince you now at this point of our study today, we want to convince you no matter what happens, no matter how dark life gets, no matter how dark the, the world becomes, never, ever Lose your sight. Never, ever lose your focus on who? Yahushua. We need to make a promise that no matter what happens, even if it means we have to die, we will only follow Yahushua as the light of the world. Because if we will do that, the darkness will become what? Light. You see, when you look at the 70 weeks plan, it doesn't end in tribulation. No. Why? Because when the 3.5 years is over, there's no more tribulation. We see this as the tribulation being limited. We see this as the power of the Antichrist being limited. Because once the 70 weeks is over, guess what? Daniel 24 kicks in. The more complete fulfillment of Daniel 24 kicks in. You probably forgot about Daniel 24, right? Because we're so focused on 25, 26, 27. Wait a minute. What's the purpose of 25, 26, and 27? Its purpose is Daniel 9, 24, which is what? 70 weeks. So after 70 weeks is done, the objectives will be fulfilled. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. What is that? That will be, that'll, it, it will find its complete fulfillment in the millennial, millennium kingdom, the kingdom of God that will be ruled by Yahushua. This is why darkness will not prevail. It will be defeated by light. Through Yahushua HaMashiach. And what will happen? 
to the Antichrist. The little horn who spoke pompous words, Daniel 7, 11, 12. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words, which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And so the little horn, the Antichrist, will be destroyed. He'll be destroyed. There's an end to the reign of the Antichrist. There's an end to tribulation. There's an end to darkness. After that ends, there's going to be light. Light and life everlasting. Because what happens after this little horn, the Antichrist is, is given to the burning flame. What's going to happen next? 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man. Who is that? Yahusha. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Yahushua comes back. He comes here, right? And he will bring a kingdom that is everlasting. That's when light will rule forevermore. That's when Daniel 9.24 will be completely fulfilled. And this kingdom, you know what Yahushua and Yahuwah promises about this kingdom? Daniel 7, 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people who the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So this kingdom of God, it will be given to people. Who is going to be given to the saints of the Most High God? This is why... We need to prepare ourselves for that kingdom. We want to be a part of that kingdom, right? That's what we want. We want to receive that kingdom. You know, when Yahushua came here, his first advent, he presented that kingdom. The kingdom of God was at hand, said John the Baptist. Yahushua said the kingdom of God is at hand because Yahushua was here. Remember? But what happened? Let's read Luke 19, 41, 44. Now, as he drew near, I mean, this is uh, Luke 19, if you still remember, was the passage when he presented himself on a donkey and he went to Jerusalem and he was rejected. And this is what Yahushua said after he got rejected. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city. What did he do? He wept. He wept over it. Jerusalem was restored during the days of Nehemiah. Precisely for this event, so that Yahushua can come there and become king. This would have been the chance for Israel to avoid what, what, what happened. It could have been the kingdom of God on earth. But they rejected the king, right? He saw the city and he wept over it saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. Titus did that. Surround you and close you in on every side. Titus did that. And level you and your children within you to the ground. This was fulfilled in 70 AD. And they will not leave you in 
you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you know why Jerusalem and Israel fell in 70 AD? Do you know why? Because they did not read their prophecy. They did not read Zechariah. If they only had read Zechariah and they saw Yahusha on a colt, well, what should they have done? He's the one. Prophecy is being fulfilled. And so Yahusha wept and said, basically saying, they had their chance, right? Israel had their chance. But they ruined it. And so now these things are hidden from their eyes. They have blindness. And even to this very day, they have that blindness. Because they did not know the time of their visitation. Because they did not know the prophecy about what Yahushua will do. And so, brethren, we need to study prophecy so that we can prepare ourselves for what is to happen. And so Yahuwah was ready to give them the kingdom, but they rejected it. And according to Yahushua, who will receive this kingdom? Luke 12, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Israel rejected it. The first century, but there's a flock composed of sheep. Sheep are the ones who follow Yahusha as their light and Mashiach and king. The, Yahusha says the father is happy, greatly happy to give you the kingdom. This is why we need to seek the kingdom above all else. Brethren, time is running out. Haven't you noticed time is moving so fast? We're already almost halfway to January. Can you believe that? Right? We're getting closer and closer to the second advent of Yahushua. And so what we need to do is seek the kingdom of God first. Let us be loyal to Yahushua. How can we be loyal to Yahushua? Let's read one more passage before we pray. Revelation 20 and the verses 4. Then I saw thrones. And the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Yahushua. And for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue. Nor accepted his mark on their forehead or their hands. They all came to life again. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. How can we seek the kingdom? What do we need to do? Two things. Let us testify about Yahusha. In other words, we must present Yahusha to people. Tell people about our king, Yahusha. This is why the assembly of Yahusha, we're going to have another Bible study. We're going to have a new program. And the purpose of this program is to teach you about Yahusha, our king. The prophecies, the evidences for his death and resurrection so that we can fulfill what Yahusha, what Yahuwah wants us to do to give testimony about Yahusha and also for proclaiming the word of God. And in any event, if by chance, if somehow, some way, 
the beast will emerge and rise soon. Never ever worship the beast or his statue. Never accept the mark, forehead on the, and on the hand. Instead, let us be loyal to Yahusha. And when Yahusha comes, even if we die, we're going to rise first. And we're going to reign with Yahusha for a thousand years in his millennial kingdom. This is why we're studying this prophecy, to prepare us so that we will not be like Israel in the first century, right? Who did not know the day of their visitation? And so we must not be persuaded. We must not be deceived into worshiping this Antichrist. Because this Antichrist is a man of intrigue, deceit. He's very shrewd. And a person who doesn't know the Bible, a person who doesn't study scripture, they'll be persuaded to worship this image and this Antichrist. This is why, brethren, we need to really study the word of God and be committed in following our king. Yahusha HaMashiach. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Abba, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for preparing us for the events that are to come. Help us to be loyal to you as we study your holy commands. Please plant them deeply in our minds and in our hearts that we can be alerted whenever we need to know about your specific will concerning specific times and situations that we can act according to wisdom, according to your plan. Father, as human beings, we have our own weaknesses. Teach us to overcome our doubts. Help us to believe and to hold on to prophecy. Help us, Father, to do what is best, to proclaim your holy words. Yahushua, loving Mashiach. Thank you for giving us the opportunity as the assembly of Yahushua to proclaim to the people about you. It gives us great honor and pleasure. Who are we to speak on your behalf? Who are we to tell people about you? We will do our best. And so we will study the teachings you have given us. We will study the prophecies about you. We will do our best to convince people about you, to worship you, O loving Mashiach, because you are the anointed one who will fulfill the prophecies to bring about the kingdom. Father, please bless our loved ones. Bless those who were still blinded, that they may open their eyes and see the truth of your scriptures and the fulfillment of your plans. We believe, loving Abba, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.